Lord, give him glory. I think I'm on. I think I'm on. How many of you, your chains are broken? That doesn't sound like there's very many chains broken in this place. How many of your chains are broken? There we go. Somebody's giving us an example out there. Now, if that's true, we should probably be dancing right now. We should be uh, shouting to the tops of our praise as loud as we could. I think that the shouts of praise should be loud enough that everybody out in the community can hear us. Because what is there better than knowing than the sin that you've lived in, the life of wickedness on whatever level your life has been that is ended. And you can say that I'm now a new creation in Christ Jesus and I am no longer the same. Is there anything in this life that remotely compares? Remotely comes close to? And so I think this message this morning is going to fit very key to either where we ought to be living or what we agree we, ought, we, we should be in. Either that either, or we're doing it. We're living in the light of the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, I was moved this, this week in this one thought. I was moved on how much we talk about the love of God. I mean, you can't go to a seminar, a bookstore, anything that doesn't talk about the love of God. And praise the Lord that we've elevated the love of God. But there's one thing you can't elevate the love of God over, and that is the blood of Jesus. And the reason I say that is because the love of God could have never hewed one of us out of the hole of hell unless it had been for the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the problem that the world is dealing with right now that somehow we think if we live a good enough life, if I learn to be a good enough person, if I work hard at being a better me, that I am going to be acceptable enough. You might be acceptable in the world's eyes. You might make it in your spouse's eyes. You might be able to make it in this world, but you can never stand before God on the merits of your own goodness. And so we, every one of us, needed this day to happen. We needed the blood of Jesus to be poured out to save me from the rottenness of what sin was going to do. And I'm grateful for the blood because I believe the blood doesn't just forgive. You get what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? It doesn't just forgive. The blood of Jesus brought to us through the power of the Holy Spirit cleanses our minds, does something in our spirit, revives who we are and makes us the children of God. To as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Isn't that marvelous? As many as received Him, to them gave He power you know, that's, that's what we need right now. We need a power to live. A power to walk it out. Because we have every devil there is. We have every, uh, what would you say, temptation of the flesh you could possibly think about. Every corner that you walk around, there's something emulating darkness around you. We need power today. We don't need just forgiveness. We need power. Because I want to know that I don't have to live in that darkness. I want to know that it doesn't have its place in my heart. Darn it, I already got to preaching, didn't I? 
But there's just something about the blood that gets inside and the reality of that. And I'm afraid that so many in a church haven't discovered the reality. Maybe we did one time. Maybe there was a time you can reflect back on. And I pray that everybody in this place asks of what it meant to be regenerated. What's that mean? That means my spirit was made new. And because my spirit was made new, I became new. And the sinful life that I lived, I abandoned because of Jesus living inside of me. And so you can say, I remember a day that Jesus got inside of me. But what about every day afterwards? Isn't that blood just as fresh to do a cleansing right now? You know, too many of us are complaining about the sight of our humanity and our weaknesses. And I understand that. But does that compare to the power of God? Does it compare to what Jesus can do? Is it compared to what Jesus did? I would say this. If there's something within the human nature that is so great and so magnificent that can outscale the power of Jesus Christ, then why in the world would He come and die for us? I think that it's now a time for a paradigm shift in the revelation of the power that's in the blood of Jesus. And I think I got a verse for you today. I think I got a verse. Let's see if we got that verse up there. Can I get that verse up there? Where verse is. There we go. So we're going to start here. Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. The only reason I, I put this up here for you is just in case of a few of you forgot your Bibles, I decided I was going to make a way so that you could see this. And why? Because it's the Word of God. It's really important. So we're just going to make a way for everybody today, right? Uh, let's. Are you guys there? Hebrews 9? Hey, I, I needed to hear some pages turning. Even though it's up there, I still want those of you who have your Bible with you to turn the pages. There we go. we got phones. You're moving good. Some people are a lot faster that way. Okay, let's read it. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Can you all say all? Good. Having obtained eternal redemption, Let's stop there. Let's just camp in this spot. Having obtained eternal redemption. Do you notice it didn't say salvation, it said redemption, because our salvation hinges off of redemption. I had to be bought. There's something about my life that it couldn't just be where it was. I needed something. I needed to be bought. I needed redemption for salvation. Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself up without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You may have to turn me down a little bit because when I get excited, I'm going to get loud. Just, just a warning. If you want, you can go like, to the guys back there, just like, go down a little bit, just a little bit, right? Yeah, right? Well, we need it, for sure. Okay, so we've got this. And what I noticed here was this in this verse. He says, well, cleanse your conscience. How do you get a conscience clean? How many people have lived to, toward the end of their life, and there's something bothering them in their conscience? The act is over with. 
The situation is gone, but the conscience still recalling and reminding and bringing it up fresh as a, a present reminder. And that conscience wears on us. And see, this is the thing, the conscience doesn't let you off the hook for a sin that's been done 15 years ago. It doesn't let you off a hook for a conscience. It's a sin that's been done 50 years ago. It'll still be there to remind you of it. And so the world and all that we're trying to do is trying to tame the conscience and get our minds so off of, but still it's there. And here it says that the blood of Jesus Christ, a fresh touch of the blood of Jesus, will cleanse the conscience. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to go back to the things that I did in my past and, and call them back up and remember them because my conscience calls them back to mind. See, there's a thing that we need. We need such an interaction with the blood and with the life of Jesus that we don't have a sense of the conscience awareness of sin that has been passed on through the blood. So I think this is pretty powerful, that the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse the conscience. And you know, before it gets to the conscience, think about where it's got to go before it gets there. Because if you can't cleanse the mind, you can't cleanse the conscience. If you can't purify the heart, you can't purify the conscience either. Everything has to work itself place to the place the conscience finally is at rest with everything else working inside of us. See, the conscience doesn't quit. It doesn't stop until everything's right. That's how we know. When I think of the biggest things that the Holy Spirit does when He witnesses with a person that's newly born of God is He witnesses with their conscience. How do I know I'm no longer guilty? See, we have, we have every right to go back and revisit guilt when it comes to the natural life. When I've done something to hurt another person, I ought to feel guilty. I should be reminded of that. I remember the pain that I've brought to somebody that's maybe it's a pain that you caused that it's not something that you can undo. And so you now know that for the rest of their life that you've caused not a temporal pain, but a pain that's going to carry them to their grave. Something that's not going to stop. And yet your conscience isn't going to say, well, I know that you've made some reforms in life, that you've become a better person in life, and so then that's okay. Now you've finally become good enough. Your conscience never lets you off on good deeds. And there it is, we have here invested in this verse. I so love this, that the blood, only the blood of Jesus, can remove that stain of guilt. Only the blood of Jesus can walk me back down every day that I was living since the moment I was born and renew me afresh and walk me through and say, you are no longer guilty. A full-fledged justification that I am no longer a criminal under the light of my own conscience. See, it's one thing to think, would God say that I am clean and my conscience give me the verdict that I'm still guilty? Wouldn't that be a depravity that the God of heaven can't give His voice loud enough to silence your conscience? But the God who silences conscience is also the one who remains silent as well. 
He gave us a perfect sacrifice. Man, I'm getting to where I was like, I haven't gotten my first point yet. There we go. I told you our prayer was good this morning. <laughs> it really was. The necessity of revelation. So I, I want to say this because I feel like, why aren't we getting it? Why is it that there's kind of this idea in our heads? We might sing there's power, power, wonderful working power in the blood, and then walk out of church this morning bound up with all kinds of things. Why is it that it's not fresh and real to us? And I think that's because there's a necessity of revelation. I think all Christians on a board, you can even put me right on there and I say, I'm on that boat with you. I'm pleading Jesus Give me a fresh revelation. Give me fresh manna from heaven that I haven't touched yet. I love what you've already shown to me, but I believe there's an everlasting, ever-living revelation that Jesus wants to give us more about the blood of Jesus. And so I want to get in the river today. I want to know what it means to be in the flow where God is giving me another revelation about the blood. Because I want to stop the power of accusation, not only on my end, but the power of the devil to come and tell me, James, you've got something to miss in your life. You can't get on your knees and expect God to do anything for you. Because look at this. Look at this. And you know, the devil knows how to remind us of our past. And we hear somebody say with him that remind him of his future. Right? That's great. But sometimes we're trying to remind him of his future and we know he's got us. He's got us pegged. He's got us locked down because something's missing. And I would say we just need a fresh revelation of the magnificence of Jesus and that sacrifice. We need, we need to understand when you post it up against Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. The magnificence of Jesus, our sacrifice. Let's go to, uh, I know, we've got to make it to the Scripture here eventually. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, 14 through 20. Just give me a shout of amen when you're there. I said a shout of amen. Noah, can you give us an example here? Can you give me? Amen. There we go. <laughs> Colossians 1, 14 through 20. <laughs> I want you to catch the credentials of Jesus. Let's get his credentials here. Why is that his sacrifice is good enough that he could offer up his blood? What makes it different here? Here, let's read it. He is the image of the invisible God. Can anybody else claim that one? The first... Born. I just want I want you to get clarification over this. this. Is the firstborn from the resurrection from the dead? Jesus was the firstborn resurrected from the dead. That's what it means by firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Talk about credentials. He's the only one that's created it. That are in heaven and that are on earth, visible. Now capture this: invisible. It's not just visible, but it's invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church. That's us right here. The body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There we have it again. That in all things, He may have the preeminence, I mean, so that the ultimate authority, the ultimate right, the ultimate say-so, in whom we have redemption. I want you to capture that word and hold on to it. Highlight it. Redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through the blood of His cross. I just wanted to get a picture of the credentials of Jesus. Why is it that the devil has no power? Why is it that we can keep going back to Jesus and have that final say-so and we end it right there? Why is it that I have a trump card that nothing on earth, not life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nothing can separate me from the love of God? What is my trump card? This. Because before I got to the blood, I got to the one who offered it. I got to my Jesus who gave of His life. And did He have in Himself what it took so that His blood could make sure that I could wash away every one of the stains of my life. I love this song. It's an old song. It's an old hymn that we've sang at times. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I love that. Sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all. Lose all their guilty stains. You know, I was thinking about this because I've gotten so locked up in this idea of this like this fountain of blood. Like I'm just, just throwing my whole life into it. And this week while I was praying, I felt like the Lord just, just kind of helped me see a little bit more of the power and the virtue of Jesus. And I was thinking of the woman with the issue of blood. While we're in the middle of talking about that, and here she is and it says 12 years, she couldn't. She couldn't do anything about it. The doctors couldn't. She spent everything she had on trying to get a cure for this problem with this blood flow. And here she goes through an audience of people. And she, it wasn't just a touch that day. Listen to me. It wasn't Jesus that Jesus just touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She said something. She said, if I touch the hem of His garment, I'll be made perfectly whole. The moment that she just touched the fabric of Jesus' clothing, whew, I'm getting a little bit of it up here. The moment she touched just the fabric of Jesus' clothing, His earthly clothing, not His body, but His clothes, she was made perfectly whole. And, and the Lord said, now compare that to one drop of my blood. 
it just gave me a fresh reality of, Lord, I, I'm not looking for a fountain necessarily. I'm just looking for one drop of blood, one more touch of that everlasting life of Jesus, one more on me. And I know one thing. i got to have access to it. But I, I, I to tell you something. Which one of you saw a fountain of blood? Where did you see this blood? Where can you physically touch the blood? And you can't. But God's made a way that's better than that. Because if you and I had to go find a location to be able to get this cleansing and be able to touch this real physical blood, we'd have to leave. We'd have to have time constraints. We'd have all kinds of restraints on us. But right now, as you sit in this place, and as you listen to my voice, one thing you can know for sure that you don't have to have a time constraint. You don't have to wait any longer. That blood is as fresh today as it was shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it's just as capable of healing every dark space in our life right now. I'm grateful for there's a fountain filled with blood, whether you can see it or not, right here at these altars, right where you sit. The blood is available. The blood is ready for us to plunge in right now. And so all we have to do is by faith, Oh, I heard it from the preacher, but that doesn't mean you got it. I heard it said. I heard it yelled. I heard it preached from angels and the mouth of preachers and angels. But yet I still don't know that there's a blood because I can't see it. And our world operates on what it sees. But the only thing that touches into the kingdom of God is not your physical sight, but your spiritual sight. And God has given us something called faith. Can you believe today? Can you believe against all odds? Can you believe against the guilt of your own conscience that there is a fountain for you right now? What a good gospel message for us to be reminded of, for us to call back to. So we get this magnificence of our sacrifice. Now we need the magnitude or the magnificence of Jesus. Now we need the magnitude of the sacrifice. I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 9. I want to remind you of what we had read earlier. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. Let's go there to 9.24-28. Isaac, have you got me there? Yep, we're there. You guys can say amen before I get there. Right? Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into the heavens it's, or the heaven itself. Now do appear in the presence of God for us. I just want to take a moment to think about that. In the presence of God for me. Jesus went there to go to the Father specifically to share with the Father about me. I don't think Jesus was going up there to rag on me. To tell the Father of all the wicked things that James has done from his past to his present. I don't think Jesus is there to remind the Father of the condemnation that I justly deserve. I think Jesus is going there in the presence of the Father to say, I, I satisfied the justice that was due him. I satisfied the justice that was due him. And now it's time to take Him and reclothe Him and reseat Him. Hallelujah. Reseat Him in heavenly places with us. 
Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, can we say that? Once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. For those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation. Oh, we, I, I, I love this word because the more I think upon it, it's bigger and bigger and bigger. What is salvation? For some, they would define salvation as once I leave this body, and I leave it into a grave and my spirit ascends, salvation is the first day that I get to meet with God. And for some, that would be their idea of salvation, is my first meeting with the Creator. But I would say that's not salvation, that's a piece of salvation. But let's broaden it. In this life, this is eternal life that we might know Him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ His Son. Did you hear that word, No. You don't understand this is the thought, is that we know about Him, but how do I know Him? What's it like to be in the presence of Jesus? We were talking this morning about um, what, what it's like to have been in the holy presence of God. You know, you have those moments where just the Holy Spirit is redefined everything by just His presence alone. And then walk back out into the world. Because I can tell you I had one definition before I made it into the prayer closet. And now I have a second definition, which is wholly different, having been with the Lord. The Lord redefines your love of entertainment. He defines your interests of this world. He redefines for you what this book means. Oh, I trust. I trust that there's going to be some Christians that are going to look at this book wholly different after today. Right? We're just going to say, Lord, I don't have time for much else, but I have a lot of time for this. You know, we've had, I don't have time to read my Bible, goes from I don't have time to read my Bible to the time I don't have, I don't really have time for anything else. I'll make time for this. This is everlasting words. Even finally, one of the disciples caught it and said, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? There's a heart that's finding the light. And so I think that's the difference of knowing Jesus. I remember one time walking off of a mountain after three days of fasting and prayer. And I remember the touch of God and what the Lord had done for me. I remember coming back into the space that was familiar once to me, and it didn't feel familiar anymore. And I just remember that feeling so deep and earnest inside my spirit. Lord, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I belong here. See, there is such a drawing toward heavenly things that earthly things just don't hold their value anymore. <laughs> well, then it doesn't take long, even if you can't pay your bills. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't really ultimately matter because you understand there's something even more important. Lastly, I want to talk about the unfathomable power of the blood. I want to give a, a few of the verses in some of our hymnals, as I just had given you one of them about there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged 
beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile is he, wash all my sin away. Thou dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are saved to sin no more. For since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I don't know what songs compare to those songs, but that song tells me about the power and the blood of Jesus. I know you were thinking I was going to go, there's power, power, mighty wonder-working power, and you could go and find that one too. I would say if you haven't been in a hymnal for a while, you might go grab one and go start looking under some of those about the power of the blood because some of the best, it's not only songs, but the best thing message about the blood of Jesus has been right there. We have the necessity of faith. And I want you to hear this verse. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That without what? Without faith, it's impossible. You know, I wonder if the blind man that was there at the gate... the beautiful that day that Peter walked up on him and Peter said looked at him and he was asking alms he wasn't asking for a healing he wasn't praying for anything he was asking for money he was asking for some kind of life relief as it were and Peter looks at him and instead of giving him this temporary relief we're coming to give eternal relief that's what Jesus does in us he makes us whole to help others be whole and Peter looks at him and he says look at me Look at me. Such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And imagine that man looking back at Peter and saying, I'm sorry. That's, that's a scientific fact that it can't happen. It's a scientific fact. That's a... That'd be an anomaly, and I'm not, you know, or I'm just not good enough to have something like that in my life. See, I don't know what might be possessing us today to look back at the Lord and read such a verse or some of these verses that God has given us and say, not me. But I can say there's a whole lot in our life that's happened that I know that you have to have a huge battle to get to the place where you actually believe the Word of God over everything else. But when you do, God has made His promises that in an effect are absolute guarantees. It's an absolute guarantee based upon Jesus said you must have faith. You know, I was, I've been for, I, don't, I can't tell you, it's been a number of years, but this one verse really caught me in, in the Bible in, in James. Yeah, you're like, yeah, that would catch you, wouldn't it? In the book of James, it says that the man who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and embraces not. Listen to how faithful God is to give. Like God is ready, disposal of heaven, out ready to be outpoured. Now, what's holding it back? What's holding it back? 
If God liberally gives to all men, and He's calling for us to ask, what's holding? He says, let him ask in faith. Whew! That's it? Ask in faith, but nothing wavering. He that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think... Listen to that. Catch that part of that verse. Let not that man think to receive anything from the Lord. This omnipotent God who said, let there be and there was, and the only thing that's holding me back from all that God has for my life right now is that I really don't believe Him. I'm not conquered that unbelief down deep in my spirit that washes me, keeps me from the provisions that God has made. And why? I was wondering that. Why is faith so essential to being able to receive from God? It's not because God is saying, you know what? I don't like you today because you don't have the ability to trust. Or I hate you because, or any of those accusations that might be in our minds. But faith is the eyes of our spirit. And the only thing that keeps us from the supernatural is a blind spirit to the supernatural. We need our eyes opened. That's why I think to some degree that there can be somebody who's praying incessantly for something and they pray and they pray and they go away broken hearted because they haven't received it. Because when they think of faith, they think I believe it. It's locked down in my head. But there's a difference from the eye of your spirit and the eye of your head. And you've got to get a little bit deeper than that if you're going to get to the place where you can receive from God. And so I love this. I think when I, I'm thinking about it, here's my two definitions for faith. It's the heart's reception of things that are invisible. Now that caught me. I was thinking about this because he's when we're talking about he's the one who's the creator of the visible and invisible. How many of us know how many uh, spirits there are? How many of us walk down and not even see? We don't even know the spirit world. We don't even know that there's as much another world beyond anything that we see and grasp. And so what we're actually needing God to do is open up to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, not some other spirit, but through the Holy Spirit, open up to us the spiritual world that is as real as the physical world. And so real that it impacts everything that we live in here. So, for instance, if the spiritual world and then the power of God has in it already your wholeness, you receive a physical miracle from that. So, I, I mean, I get to preaching and I got all these scriptures going on in my mind. Abraham, God promised to Abraham, he said to Abraham, you are a father of nations. When did he become a father of nations? The moment God declared it and he believed it, right? It wasn't a hundred years later or almost a hundred years, whatever, when he's holding that baby boy in his arms. 
So Abraham, every day that he's waiting for the physical appearance of the promise of God, should be telling everybody, I'm a dad, I'm a dad, because he believes it, because it's real to him. And there's something the Holy Spirit has to do in our spirit to get us to see and be awakened to those realities. Or else, because of that blindness, there's so much of the very world that God has that we miss. Then my second piece of that definition, faith is the awakening of our spiritual senses that gives us real intervention with divine revelation. How many of you want to hear that one more time? There it is right up there. Faith is the awakening of our spiritual senses that give us real intervention with divine revelation. God revealed something to me, and now because He revealed it, it's so vivid and real and powerful that this this verse in the Bible has now just jumped out at me and it's become something more than I can explain. And that reality is possessing my spirit and moving me. Not not demon possession, but possessing me in a very godly and holy way. And I'm driven to believe it just as He said it. Think about Jesus saying that I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Imagine that. Jesus saying, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you would cast that mountain into the sea. You think of all these miracles or these promises that God seems so vast and eminent that seems so beyond anything that we've known, even in church today. And we're saying, is that really that true? And Jesus is really trying to get us to awaken our spiritual senses to get there. So we have this after the necessity of faith. Let me share again those main points. The necessity of revelation. The necessity of revelation. The necessity of faith. And now finally, the necessity of divine outcome. See, this is where we'd be barren if God didn't do something. (laughs) If He didn't do something with it then we'd be like, so what what happened here? Was there any real value to all of uh, His sacrifice, my believing in His sacrifice, nothing happened? But the value of it is in the outcome that God gives. And the ruin of our souls comes with the burden. So I want you to hear this thought. The ruin of our souls comes with the burdens for which we seek relief and end on something other than the blood of Christ. Nothing else is proven to purify us from our wicked intentions, cleanse and drive our moral and physical appetites towards self-serving ends, and release us from the perpetual condemnation of the past and present sins, and draw us into a regenerated state and right relationship with God. I know that's pretty. That's, there's a lot of verbiage there, right? But what I'm trying to say is, is that it's far encompassing. It goes into the intent of the heart, the very spirit of the person. It drives out darkness in every way, making us children of God to be able to give us, make us a physical example of what it means to be regenerated. There's too many sin-living, sin-talking, professed believers that need this outcome in their life so that we can get to the place where God can get the testimony that He's worthy of. And so we would say, I think all of us to some degree fall under the corruption of the human nature, still longing to get to a better understanding of the fullness of Jesus. And I would say, you're right. 
Nobody in this room escapes some kind of a sense of that reality. But beyond your physical sense of reality, I'm trying to wipe away that picture and get us to the gospel. Because at some point we got to say it doesn't matter what I see, feel, smell, touch. None of these things are my reality. It's what he said, what he did is the reality that I'm crafting to come into. All other means may give us partial sense of rest without coming near to what I just described. And so I, may say, I say this, it may be equally said that many Christians through dulled spiritual lives are blind to the invisible but very real things of God and suffer under a tremendous load of guilt and carnality. Their mental adherence to the Word of God has left them barren of the divine outcome and essentially made them feel like God is a liar. Faith is replaced or being replaced with belief, and the real biblical connection is lost, producing what we call carnal Christians. Now, I didn't get that out of a book. That was my time. I felt like God gave me this. This is because our spiritual senses are not awakened. You ask this preacher today, Preacher, what do you have to say to us? And I would say, do what it takes to awaken yourself spiritually. Because the divine, everlasting, the riches that are in Jesus Christ are waiting for you to take and hold on to. Some of us don't read our Bibles. And we've got every excuse in the world for that. But I'm bringing you face to face with that kind of that kind of a uh, how would I spiritual life. It dulls your senses to the invisible, and that's what we have to see is that what God is doing is invisible to the eye, but very real, nevertheless. And so, if we keep dulling our spiritual senses by a lack of prayer, a lack of reading the Word of God, and understand this, prayer alone wouldn't do it. But you're giving God a space that He can work in. You understand that? We're saying, God, I know in Your Word, without the Holy Spirit giving revelation to it, I'm going to miss it anyway. But I am opening the book because I'm giving you an opportunity to get into me. Dulled spiritual lives. Some of us dull our spiritual lives by compromise. You know it's compromise. I don't have to tell you about it. You know it is. And because of that, you continue to dull your spiritual senses. And before you know it, you can't tell the difference between the world's entertainment and what we call God's entertainment. We can't tell anymore anything else. And then what we do, and I, let me just say one more thing. There's too many people, and listen to me from this warning side of, there's too many people spiritually senseless that are making all kinds of accusations about the rest of us. And God said, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And I'm only saying that because I want to say it is our utmost attention to pay attention to where you're at. Oh, the church this. Oh, the church that. We have every indictment for how much the church needs to be different. And yet we can't see through the skin of our own lives. And God is calling us out of that compromise. Stop compromising the standard which God has called you to live. And then when you get the mote out of your own eye, you can see clearly to help us. 
I'm not saying I don't have faults. I'm not saying that that's that you're, I'm trying to avoid any of the kind of the judgment that's necessary. I'm trying to say that if we're going to have a pure reflection of what Jesus is doing, it's certainly not going to be through our own corruption. It's not going to be that way. So God's calling us to one more time get on our knees, to get humble before Him, to say, Lord Jesus, here it is. Sometimes we need to make a broader confession than just, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Tell Him which ones. Tell Him which ones are in His way. Tell Him the prejudice that you have of other people. Tell Him about the past things that you've done. I'm telling you, the blood forgives it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't demand us to bring it up to Him. You want to be forgiven of what? Well, tell Him what it is. Lord, forgive me of this past. Because the blood cleanses what we ask for forgiveness. And it says it plainly in the Word of God. Some of us are making too general of a confession and we're not letting the Lord get into those areas of our life. The confession is not a works. It's an open heart. If you it as an open heart, Lord, I'm opening my heart. This is what I got going on. Before we take communion today, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that we understand how important it is to take these elements with the right attitude of heart. And it tells us, God's Word tells us, examine ourselves. Examine yourself. And so what we have a trouble with is this, is how come I'm struggling with the grace of God? And I will, I'll tell you, this thought was, it's probably next week's sermon, but I want to say this part, is that sin, temptation doesn't travel down the road the sin drives on. Or it does travel down the road. So we wonder, where's the temptation coming from? It's because we keep linking ourselves too closely to sin in our life. Good brothers and sisters, it's almost like, where's the temptation? Well, it's not too common. It's not that it doesn't happen. It's not too common because I'm not living in an environment that entices it. And so you're hearing the other side of this blood that we have the faith in is to lead us to full and true repentance. Confession isn't the end of the story. Confession is just a part of the framework. of it. And as I surrender to the Lord, I confess it, Jesus cleanses it. Did you hear that? The moment you confess it, God cleanses it. If you come with faith to the blood of Jesus. The blood cleanses. And I love it because there's no restraint to the Lord. There's no restraint so long as we come on His conditions. Amen? I got to preach in here. Is it a good word? Amen. Well, I'm going to invite an opportunity for communion this morning. I want, I want you to take it as the Lord leads you. Remember the warning that God has given, but I want you to take it as the Lord leads you. Let me read these few verses here before we do. I want to thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness in our lives. Let's look in uh, in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Praise you, Lord. 
So what we'll do here is uh, I'm going to share these verses. And um, I'll open up the this for us to take communion. And as I've done before, and the reason I do this, I, I let you come because some people feel uncomfortable and don't feel like this is the appropriate time. Some feel like I need to stay back and spend some time with the Lord before I do. But I want you to... I want you to have that freedom. So when we pass it around, some people feel compelled out of necessity. People are watching me. And I don't want to, as much as I can, I don't want that to be the groundwork by which we choose to take communion. I want the ground for which we take communion to be. I understand and I know the gravity of what I'm doing here and how important it is to treat this as sacred and holy. And because of that, some of us are at different points and stages where we feel like we can do that well. And so that's why I do that. I, I have no other intention behind, besides. And sometimes I come up here to serve you because as you come, I want to be the welcoming face behind what Jesus is doing in your heart. And I appreciate every unique individual in this body. So let me read this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it's inspired and says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat. I want you to catch that. Let him examine. Let him make things right with the Lord on the spot, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we judge, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we will not be condemned with the world. Father, I want to thank you today, Lord, for such an inspiration in my spirit because I know how truly much more I want to have a, a more full, real, real and complete revelation of the blood of Jesus. Lord, I'd have no hope, nor would we here, if it weren't for the intimate 
love of God that was poured out to make a sacrifice that was completely necessary and nothing else would do in place. Jesus, thank you that individually every one of us can call to mind that you have given your body, your sinless, perfect, holy body as a sacrifice for our sins and for our salvation. And Jesus, I am grateful today that we get to celebrate, celebrate, oh, hallelujah, celebrate that reality in our life. Right now, Jesus, I pray for this celebration, the fullness of our spirit as we recall how wonderful it is to have the touches of God all over our past and the present reality of it in our life. Jesus, anoint every one of us to step in and experience what it means one more time and then again tomorrow another of the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So I want in... I'm, I'm going to have them play. I'm not going to have the worship team come up. Isaac, if you'll play that song here in a minute, um, I'm just that last song. And what we're going to do is, because I want those who have been a 